I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to a new episode of Be Good and Rewatch It. We actually have a title. We're on our, our own feed. Go to that Hell feed. Hell yeah. You know, rewatch those episodes. Get those get those get those numbers up. Leave uh, a Patrick, review. We have a heart out. <laughs> you know what? The the heart out is uh when I you know the twist is we don't have a heart out in a very M That's night the M night fashion. twist, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it turns out we have the room forever. And no spoilers. That would be a great twist, actually. If you were like, psych, <laughs> you guys actually own that room, and here's another $50,000 to build it out however the way you want to. That'd be fantastic. Great twist, M. Knight. Thanks. Second twist. None of that's Thanks. true. Great twist, <laughs> Manite. 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 <laughs> Stop it. Okay, well, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're joined by Austin Walker. That's me. Can I give you my thesis um, real quick? Stop. Yeah. Okay. Yep, sure. Go ahead. I thought- David Did Cage wishes he was M. Night Shyamalan. That's my thesis. <laughs> Going David back to Fincher? Gra- no, David Cage. David oh, Cage. This I movie thought, made okay. me realize that David Cage has, for 15 years, been trying to be M. Night Shyamalan. Down to Philadelphia, down to the way his shots look, everything. Down to the way he Whoa. uses sexual assault as uh, a quick and dirty way You're to vilify feeling. people. It's exactly it. Prove me wrong, internet. Damn. Well, we only set one game in Philly, right? So far. Yeah, but everything else tracks. Everything this could tracks. be the beginning of his Detroit trilogy. You know, it's you never true. know. Yeah. Oh, uh, also uh, joined by Natalie Watson. Yep, that's me. Hey, what's the first part in your notes again? Oh, uh, yeah, I was just uh, going to say that the first two lines in my notes are Bruce Willis is hot. And then the second line in my notes is JK, I hate him. <laughs> Rob Zagney. Hey, what's up? (laughs) You got nothing, though? Nothing? Nothing? Really? (laughs) I was actually just cringing inward. I was reliving that moment where that poor woman sits down on the train next to Bruce Willis. Oh, Oh, And he's just giving off desperate divorce da vibes right and left. Just, (laughs) 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 what luck. (laughs) It's my lucky day. We are here to rewatch uh, or have rewatched uh, Unbreakable, um, the uh, 2000 uh, M. Night Shyamalan film. Uh, we were spurred to watch this uh, because uh, M. Night has a new film coming out uh, this weekend called Glass, which is the uh, part of essentially a trilogy uh, set within uh, a sort of shared universe of uh, Unbreakable, Split, and uh, Glass. Um, so to... Set this up. We're, one, we're going to spoil everything. If you haven't listened to a podcast of these before, we're just up front. We're not going to do a spoiler section. It's just, you know, 
it's the movie. Uh, so Unbreakable is a superhero origin story. It's kind of sort of, you know, what if Superman didn't know if he was Superman? The, the powers aren't the same, but, you know, same sort of premise. Uh, Bruce Willis plays David Dunn, a former football player turned security guard, who's married to Audrey Dunn, played by Robin Wright, who looks exactly the same now as she did then. Remarkable. She has her own superpower. Uh, the marriage isn't going well. Uh, they're on the verge of separation when David is uh, one of a dozen victims uh, uh, in a train accident. Um, dozens of victims. Uh, 131 people will die except David. He's the sole survivor. Um, he's soon contacted sole by sole survivor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been looking <laughs> for those three words. <laughs> Miraculous sole survivor. Uh the words of Elijah Price, who's the owner of a high-end comics art gallery, uh, who theorizes that David is something. Um, that, that's sort of something that the movie begins to explore. Uh, Elijah himself has a rare condition that makes uh, his bones incredibly brittle. Um, uh, as a child, he was uh, dubbed by uh, kids who were making fun of him, Mr. Glass, because often his bones were, were breaking at sort of the slightest fall. Um, David thinks uh, Elijah's theory about him being some sort of metahuman, you know, there's no sort of exact phrasing, but something beyond normal human condition uh, is bullshit. But over the course of the movie, um, maybe comes to suspect that Elijah is onto something. So for just a little context, uh, this movie came out in 2000. So it's like after 1989 Batman, after 1978 Superman, um, sort of like the first major breakthroughs for comic book adaptations on like well-known properties. Um, it's after a series of adaptations that probably a lot of people, especially when you were younger, didn't necessarily realize were based on a comic because it's not like it was – now it's like trendy to say based on a comic. That was not the case with like The Crow in 94 or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 90. I, for the longest time, had no idea that Turtles was based on a comic and also that the comic was like super fucking dark and not lighthearted and fun and let's just eat pizza. Uh, um, uh, Judge Dredd in 95, Men in Black in 97. And then Blade, which is sort of like a seminal comic book – Adaptation, adaptation breakthrough was only yeah. two years before. And this is 2000, the same year as X-Men. And it's, in my head, this movie came out after Spider-Man because, of course, they're looking for different types of superhero movies. Like, nope, like this movie came out um, before Spider-Man. It's five years before Batman Begins and eight years before Iron Man and sort of the MCU kicks off um, with all that. And so it's, you know, comic book movies existed, but it's not like this cultural dominant force where studios were looking to make comics. It was just more that kind of in the same way that they mine video games it's like well they're they're a thing that have stories so occasionally one got adapted and sometimes they were popular and then the other context is sort of the writer director m night Shyamalan. so this movie comes out after his like breakout hit the sixth sense a movie with a really unforgettable no spoilers no one tell anyone because natalie has not seen it and it, <laughs> that's amazing that she's not gotten through cultural osmosis so let her you're gonna I have didn't to even fix know this there soon. was a twist well that's what Okay. The trope of M. Night Shyamalan movies is that... The internet is a bad place. Yeah, you're going to get yep. spoiled on this immediately. You have no to watch it tonight. No one's spoiling me. Okay, God. Watch, Yeah, watch it tonight, this weekend. Like, fix it quick. Because um, <laughs> also, also, if you were just to Google M. Night Shyamalan, like, it's... The, the notion of a twist is, like, a huge part of... It first became one of the things you looked forward to, then became, like, this trope on a trick that... There was an entire episode of Entourage about it. Yes. True. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, Sixth Sense came after two movies I've never seen, Praying with Anger, Wide Awake. Eh. He co-wrote the fucking Stuart Little adaptation with Michael J. Fox as the small mouse. That's incredible to me. Hugh Glory's in that too, I think. Yes. Yeah, he plays the father. I watched this recently because it was on Netflix and you're always looking for new movies to watch with your kid. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Apparently, controversially, Ghost wrote the 1999 teen comedy She's All That with Freddie Prinze Jr. and Rachel Leigh Cook. Wow. Because the person who's credited with it claims he didn't but M. Night claims that he did. Sure. Hmm. Um, 
after Unbreakable, he does uh, the Alien Invasion movie Signs, which is uh, an all-time favorite of mine. The ending's goofy. But I've seen goddamn, that. That movie has a really fucking effective scenes that I still think about to this day. Birthday scene is amazing. Um, the really weird but uh, weirdly underrated movie The Village because it has a terrible second half. It's a terrible first, second half. Terrible. But if you were to chop that movie, just get rid of it. I may have movie had a fades to black because of that movie. I predicted what the twist was in that movie and told uh -huh. my then girlfriend at the time. And when before I was, you guys watched it, yeah, I was like, oh, this "You is... that's Chappie the Village." But before it started, <laughs> by like two months, she was really excited about it. And you're I like, "Oh, her, I bet it's yeah." And I and, and it was. I was right, and she was furious. And that is when I was like, and she was furious in a way that was not healthy. There was like, <laughs> that was not a healthy. Like response. retaliation. Yes, and so afterwards, that I, so it, it didn't break us up. It made it was one of the things a that flashpoint. Made me go, huh? This is huh? Maybe this isn't right. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe this shouldn't happen. Thanks, Manite. Manite. Thank you, Manite Shyamalan. <laughs> Rob, did, did you, you nail the village because? Like parts of Pennsylvania are like yeah, hundred percent. You're I'm more aware of them. You're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. I know what this could be. Yes, hundred percent. A hundred percent. That movie has a great first half. It's a very tense first half until it all falls apart, and then the second half sort of undermines any appreciation you had for what came before that. Uh, it has the weird, um, like, movie aimed at, like, taking down film critics as they started to turn on him with the village called Lady in the Water. There's the really uh, incomprehensible Nature Fights Back movie, The Happening, which I've put now on three or four separate um, Shocktober list of movies to watch because I keep wanting to see that movie but I fall asleep in the first half hour and then never make it to the end but I just really want to see it because I know it's supposed to be incomprehensibly bad um, the, yeah the thing that I know about that that movie has always made me want to know what that movie actually is right like I just need I just it's a movie that I need to know but I keep it takes a while to get to the happening <laughs> what, what other films would call plot <laughs> well, what happens is I fall asleep unfortunately oh, gotcha. um uh, after the happening, uh, really where he sort of like culturally sort of fell off a cliff was the uh, the, the whitewashed version of Avatar, The Last Airbender, um, which at some point, I've never seen Avatar, heard it's great. I'd love to wa have a reason to watch that movie. Like I just kind of like whizzed by me because it was so uh, derided um, as being just a bad movie, even outside of the whole whitewashing of the, the cast. Um, he did that movie after Earth that I don't even remember. I just know that Will Smith was in it. Oh, oh, Will Smith oh I've seen that. Jayden? It's primarily a Jaden movie, though, right? Yes, it was a Will Smith headlining. So his son, you know, like he's yeah. here's the you know shiny actor to try and uh, bring in bring his son. That, that movie, movie apparently was, was cool. I think Danger is real. <laughs> Fear is a choice. I haven't seen it in a million years, but I remember when I'm, I saw you know it. What? I was I'm gonna, like, Whoa. we're gonna stick with we're gonna stick with Natalie's interpretation. Natalie, of if you told me you knew Jaden Smith, I'd believe you. I got friends. See who know him. See, see. There I'm connected. I'm connected. Uh, and then sort of like tying this full circle to where we what we've done so far with Begin to rewatch it is that uh, his career is kind of in a tank. He disappeared. He did a season of a Fox TV series that was sort of twins. There was very twin peaks inspired that I didn't watch. And now I can't remember the name of, and I don't have it here in my notes, but he more or less sort of like began his career comeback with uh, a, a 2015 low budget horror movie called the visit um, in collaboration with uh Bloomhouse, uh, mm. which, you know, they produced all of the, the purge films. Um, and it's the visit is a deeply effective, very good found footage film. I, if you like that genre, excuse me, 
Bless you. Wayward Pines, by the way. Wayward Pines. The, when you said that, it was Twin Peaks inspired. I was like, and I've heard the first season like is, is legitimately movie. good. That show, um, yeah. And then Matt it goes. Matt Dillon's in that. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've I've heard it's I've heard it's like Matt Damon. Right. Matt Dillon. Different different Matt. Oh. <laughs> the energy of this to... room will not uh-huh. stop. This is the punchiest room of all time. I've never been this punchy in my life. I love to be punchy. It's a different day than the Monday. I want to be clear. Oh, Matt Dillon, not Kevin Dillon. Oh, my God. (laughs) 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 Drama. And that takes us to 2017's Split. Um, Also an interesting movie that has uh, some really questionable uh, plot decisions. I have not seen it. I know the twists in it. But we don't don't want to get there yet. Um, Okay. Okay. I we know. might watch that movie. We should. Okay. Yeah. Of Glass. Yeah. Yeah. Which yes. early early reviews of Glass are not it's, probably it's, like... it's classic M Night in the bad way. I'm seeing yeah. Glass this weekend, so He's, I got to see Split. Like, okay, what? Uh... You have to see. You have to see Split before you watch Glass. <laughs> like, it's a require. It's a requirement. Well, I have to watch The Sixth Sense now. No, I don't think it's connected. Well, you actually look. Are you seeing Six split sense. with people with glass with people? Uh, yes. Yeah, you're gonna have to see Sixth Sense if you don't want it spoiled. Oh, gonna be like, oh, it's just oh, you're like right. in. You're right. So yeah, oh, sorry. You got you have a little like a one day, two day long uh, M, M Night Film Festival in your future. <laughs> um, I cannot wait. An M Night Film Alarm. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so anyway, so that's that's uh, Unbreakable. Um, I'm curious. Uh, I did not, for, despite being a big M Night fan, um, especially like his early horror stuff that definitely vibed with me as a kid, and especially as a big X Files fan. Like he was slotted right into my wheelhouse. Uh, didn't have a history with comics as a kid, so I sort of just skipped past Unbreakable and never went back to it. Um, so I'm curious what everyone else's sort of like either history with the movie was, or if you had anything interesting about your own like relationship with M Night uh, and his films, um, and just generally, you know, what folks you know, thought of uh, the movie Unbreakable. So given that, uh, Natalie, you thought uh, Bruce was hot and then it all took a turn, like, what did you make of the movie? Well, my first uh, introduction to M. Night Shyamalan. Sorry, say it again. Shyamalan? Shyamalan. Yes, M. Night Shyamalan um, was when he uh, spoke at my freshman orientation. (laughs) What a (laughs) twist! I was... (laughs) I can't fucking... Believe it! <laughs> Continue. What did he say? Um, did he spoil oh. the success? Well, I told you where the dining hall was. Okay. Um, told you uh, where to pick up student IDs he and what buildings they give you access to. Dean. Oh, just so in the same way that M Night is a cameo in all of his films, he also was just gonna—he was just camoing as like a. Uh, Helping the students get around the get around the class. Uh, yeah. I mean, he did tell us. God, I can't even remember. I remember being very confused. I remember, <laughs> I, I remember being very confused. And oh, he did talk about uh, the fact that he had like strippers in his dorm room at one time. <laughs> the David Cage Could- of movies has signed cool on. Story. Um, and then I was like, I don't know about this guy. Um, and then, so I've never seen Unbreakable before. This is my first time watching it. Oh, okay. And I guess I've seen uh, After Earth and Stuart Little. 
That's the... It's ex- it's extremely good that you have not seen any of the formative films in the M. Night canon, but you have seen Stuart Little and After Earth. Gen Z, you know? Wow. Uh, did you like it? Did you like Unbreakable? Um, hmm. Hmm, hmm. I, y- yes, I liked it. I thought it was okay. I thought it was fine. I thought it was a okay. fine. I thought it was an okay, fine film, and I I thought it did some interesting things, and then I thought it did some bad things. Um, but ultimately, it did make me want like more of this story. So I guess in that sense, it was successful. Um, so like the characters it did introduce in terms of like the principles of. Um, played by Bruce Willis and um, Samuel L. Jackson Wright. and Robin Wright oh. um, and Little Kid. Little Kid. Little Kid. <laughs> the kid that you think fuck. is the kid from The Sixth Sense the for kid. like a, a good couple of minutes yes. and then, nope, just I a did think kid. that for a, a long here, time. <laughs> I have a note here that just says, this is not Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, opening, the opening shot of that kid though, right? Oh, like, yeah. You well, think look. it's him. M. Night, like, he's just like, I need, give me the biggest, wettest eyes possible. Ew. And could you just play this scene with your jaw just a little slacker and just look, just more, stu- more stunned, please? More stunned. That seems to be sort more of the direction stunned, he gives. God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Samuel Jackson just gave an interview about Glass where he said, well, what's like, you know, you've been in M. Night's films for a long time. What's like, how has he changed over the years? It's like. Well, he's less of a dictator. Um, he's like, well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? He's like, well, he was one of those directors that uh, he didn't really want you to act. He wanted you to read what was on the page. And he'd come over and tell you specific words that you didn't emphasize that were supposed to be emphasized. Mm. And he's like, you know, that, awfully confident director to go up and tell Samuel L. Jackson, like, yeah. hey, <laughs> hey, motherfucker, you're emphasizing the wrong word <laughs> in this script. Yeah. I mean, so... I had this whole arc as I was watching Unbreakable because, like, when we were prepping for this episode, I was tempted to not watch the movie. I was like, I know Unbreakable. I've seen Unbreakable a bunch. I don't need to see Unbreakable again (laughs) because I don't like Unbreakable that much. Right. Oh, so you mean you didn't, you weren't going to rewatch it? You had already seen it. And you were not going. Oh to yeah, Rob yeah. Was, Rob I was going to bullshit go. his way through no. the conversation. Taking advice. From I was going to freshman studies. Yes. Uh, yeah, unbreakable. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> I really think so. the uh, shot composition said a lot about masculinity. I think uh, <laughs> heroism. Yeah. but it's open to interpretation. Yeah, obviously. Uh, the mundane. <laughs> so no, like I felt like I had a pretty good sense of this movie, and I knew what I thought of it. And I wasn't really excited to watch it again. As I'm rewatching it uh, the other night, I'm sitting there, and for the first hour, I would say, I'm sitting there being like, damn, this movie is so much better than I remembered. This movie is superb. Like, it is such a graceful and just well crafted uh, film. It is so. <sighs> the, way to, the way to put it is, it is, it's playing with heavy things, but they land softly mm. in, in a lot of places. And then we get about halfway through the second act into the third, and I begin to remember why I do not remember Unbreakable all that fondly. The last 30 minutes, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, I start, the movie becomes, like, less interesting 
uh, as sort of the central mystery is yeah. resolved. And also, it just culminates in a series of really tacky portrayals of David's, like, superpower and, like, the <laughs> yeah. things he chooses to intervene on and chooses uh-huh. not to. Yep. And then that culminates in uh, a really terrible set actionless action sequence, mm-hmm. uh, which is completely mishandled on multiple levels to the point where it almost seems intentional, but I don't think it is. I think just one reason uh, Shyamalan, I suspect, is really good at building suspense is because he don't know how to pay it off. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you have a twist. You are bailed out from ever resolving the tension and conflict you've been you've been establishing. But my God, when he actually has to show like action, kinetic action in a film... Suddenly, all of those comparisons to great directors, Spielberg was a name he was compared to a lot when he was a young director. Um, all those comparisons fall apart because he does not make those moments land. Uh, it completely misfires. So it was weird. Like, Unbreakable, on the first, like, two-thirds of that movie, I was like, damn, this movie's a classic. Yeah. The, this, is, this is tremendous. And the last third of it really sours me on both a, you know, aesthetic level but also a moral one. There is a two things. One, I think the thing that struck me while I was watching this time was I, tump, I so I loved this movie when it first came out. I was a big M Night Shyamalan fan after after Sixth Sense. I loved Unbreakable when it came out. I was like, this is I as a young comic book fan who was you know at 2000 I was 15, so I was like perfectly poised to want mundane and real things, mm. right? Um, in that moment of like, ah, oh, I want, I, I want there to be realism, and there, I want there to be a, a superhero story that focuses on family and focuses on character more than blah blah blah. Which is like obviously dismissing years of comics that had already done that. Or I would say I was getting into comics that were exploring that stuff and had explored that stuff. So to see Unbreakable at the time was really fantastic, especially coming off of years of superhero movies that were swinging hard the other direction, neon and brightly colored and cartoonish yeah exactly um and so at the time i loved it coming back to it i thought i knew what i was getting into because because i'd loved it as a kid um but i'd forgotten so much about those first two-thirds of the movie that rob is talking about specifically i'd forgotten the pacing of the film like it is a slow and steady rollout of what's happening like not much happens and i will say maybe to discredit a little bit is i'm not sure why certain things do happen i don't understand why willis's character continues to remain in touch with sam jackson's character outside of some intuitive sense that he is different but they don't i I don't buy it for, for many of those scenes but what i do just love is the slow realization that comes over these characters um the the there are a number of, of set pieces early on the the that we'll get to as patrick walks us through the movie i think that i think are real high points of small moment tension being paid off um but by the end the my takeaway and this is where the david cage connection actually comes together for me is there are concepts here that are fascinating that if I told you what this movie one, I could tell you this whole movie in four sentences, mm-hmm. right? Like there is not much action here. The plot is minimized, and though that four sec- uh, sentence version of the story is actually fascinating. It's like wow, the concepts at work here are incredible. This guy's name is Mister Glass. Like all of that stuff is just like immediately recognizable as like something with potential. Yeah. But the way characters are squandered, the way Willis's wife just vanishes from the the film. 
in the final third just completely vanishes literally after a point at which the the lack of resolution is kind of introduced um and then just in general the sense of like the the there's one real big final payoff at the very end of this movie and the road to get there is just it, it's it's paved with bullshit in a way that is it doesn't feel earned it doesn't necessarily feel like the it had a direct connection to what the action of the final act is and again like that feels like one of those situations where i could sense that Shyamalan had that ending and had the beginning and the two things connecting there were just like, oh, I'll figure it out. And it just doesn't – that part didn't work for me. Um, but I still enjoyed my time with it is what I will say. I think, Rob, last night you said in chat, Sam Jackson has never looked more stylish, which is saying something. Um, and it's <laughs> the hair true. In this movie. The hair, the he's suits. Just, he's beautiful. The fucking like, just, purple. Oh. Yeah. That spark, that like spark, like sparkly collar yes. underneath the yes. like the, the little bit of color that mm. he's got going on, just a little bit of purple. It's, it's not so you know, good. it's not so over the good. top. It's yeah. great. Um, yeah, I think that the the pace of the movie is really the thing that struck came to me, especially given the pace of comic book movies these days, even origin story, right? Like things are so snappy or in the case of like modern Spider-Man, like just skip the origin. You just go right, right into the middle of the career of, of, of these characters. And um, I think that's what makes like the last third, you know, we'll get to the specifics of that, like so jarring to me as well was because it just, it's a hard left turn that feels like, oh, right, this is what needs to happen now because this is what happens in the origin story. Whereas like a much, if it, this movie is trying to subvert in some ways, or at least like walk through that, that origin story, it would have, it would have continued that slow place and just brought those characters to a resolution and then set up for whatever it attempts to do in the third act in a subsequent film and explored that at a similarly labored pace. Um, Cause otherwise like, yeah, that, that first, act, I love how much time they spend with, um, you know, Bruce Willis and Robin Wright and like give them like time to breathe as characters. But yeah, they don't get resolution towards um, the end. So it's interesting mm-hmm. to me, uh, Patrick, you talk about the movie opening. It, when I think about the movie, I think about it opening on a train. And I forget, That's every wrong. time I see this yeah. movie, I forget that it opens with a title card. Yes. And I mean, title a card flashback, is flashback. And, <laughs> and, a, and a flashback to a department store in Philadelphia yeah. in the 60s. Like, I always forget that the movie does not open on the train. And it is interesting to me that the framing device of the film indicates from the first whose story is this. Right. Because it feels like the movie has two beginnings. And it is so interesting to me. Like, it, like I, I laughed when, when I realized, like, I don't remember the scene at all. I don't remember any where's, of the flashbacks. the train? At all. I don't remember. I didn't remember any of the flashbacks with Mr. Glass. And on rewatching them, I think that's strange because of how well they're all shot and how well they all do a very specific thing, which is they shoot in reflection. I don't know if that was like an obvious thing, but the opening scene of his birth is shot in the reflection of a full-length mirror when it jumps ahead and it's the conversation about him needing to go outside. It's in the reflection of the television. He is always shot in glass in all the flashbacks, and that culminates with him being shot in glass in his own art studio in the reflection of the piece he's selling to the guy who he's going to give it to his four-year-old kid, and he and he just loses it. It's, it's very good. but It's weird It's weird how that, be, at least between that and his previous film, The Sixth Sense, like, that is like a not quite a trope at that point, because I don't think it continues necessarily going forward. But the notion of you know aiming the camera and the things in the foreground background yes. representing uh, things is is 
critical to the sixth sense in a non-obvious yeah. way. Um, signs but, uh, signs does some of that too, yeah. I think, actually, now that I think it about it. It does, but not nearly to the degree that these first sixth two. sense hinges on it and, and like, the, the, the glass or uh, uh, a breakable. Um, uh, well, uh, signs depends on the reflection, like, under... You didn't say you saw signs. I forgot to say that I saw signs. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just in watched what, it, actually. In what order? Yeah. Uh, okay. What's the order of signs? First movie I saw was probably Stuart Little, then Signs. Hell, yeah. Okay. Then After okay. Earth, and then I saw right. Signs, like, a couple months ago. Okay. Again. Okay. So that's why I remember I it. I was confused. But there's the okay. glass, and there's, like, the... There's... Uh, yeah, yeah. Seeing yeah. it in the... You're right. You're right. There's a lot of reflections and... Yeah. We, he just he had a, an obsession with uh, symbolism yes. uh, that just became less pronounced. And I think it, like the symbolism the symbolism started happening more in his characters in yes. weird ways with like Lady in the Water and stuff like that, as opposed to happening in the cinematography, which was an obsession um, that, that is probably related to you know his his love of Spielberg and stuff like mm. that. So, but yeah, like I want to just read this bit that it opens on, which is like this really strange, it's so weird. Uh, the move that the you know you get touchstone pictures. And then it before you get like written directed by M Night Shyamalan, anything about the movie, it says black uh, black screen. It says there are thirty five pages, one hundred twenty four illustrations. The average comic book, a single uh, issue ranges in price from a dollar to over one hundred forty thousand dollars. One hundred seventy two thousand comics are sold in the U S. every day, over sixty two million seven hundred eighty thousand each year. The average comic book collector owns three thousand three hundred twelve comics and will spend approximately one year of his or her life reading them. And I saw that and went like, does this move? Is this setting me up? Does this person hate comic books or do they love like it just it's a very strange message to send at the start of the movie because it's not like conveying like a, a deep love of like the cultural institution mm. of an ignored medium relative to film. It's just like a bunch of strange facts that come across a little bit like it's throwing shade, but like not explicitly. It's just strange. I don't know if it's throwing shade. It's almost it feels like the same sort of conversation that like I've been in the room of of like video game conferences that are like pitching to like random like PR execs or whatever and are saying like video games made over like more than you know movies and 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 <laughs> whatever combined this year like it feels like that same like almost attaching so like a attaching, yeah for exactly like, a justification the reason I'm like, making a comic book fucking movie yeah. is because they're important is Look. because yeah because obviously there's like not if if there's a financial significance there's going to be like a cultural significance as well that was so. definitely my read and then and then it also i think ties into the speech that mr glass that elijah gives halfway through the movie right. in which he's like pictographs man pick there's pictographs man yeah that was... um which i'll read like i have that written down because i think that speech is super weird but i think there's like a degree to which he's trying to say Look at the breadth of creation in this form. Must there not be something true in it? If this thing is so important to so many people, like on one land, I'm with Natalie that it's a prestige thing. That's like, yeah, look, ghost stories, you know, ghost stories are cool. Comics are also cool. Superheroes are also important. But I also think there's a degree to which he's trying to say, like, the fact that this resonates 3,312 comics are you know are owned by the average comic collector. That's a lot of comics. Certainly, there must be something real in there. Mm. Um, which, but I also was really taken by it. Like I thought it was a strange way, a very defensive way of starting the movie. It was my read. Well, yeah. in some ways, like shades the character yes. of you know Elijah, Mister Glass, and they're like 
if on one hand you're saying like there must be something in them that is interesting and resonates like with the human condition, but then the character who enjoys comics is presented as Mr. Glass, <laughs> like feels like like if Mr. Glass is like the comic nerd who's obsessed and then defines their entire life through this medium and then but ta-da, right? Like that's like a strange like through line, like that like I undermines you know Austin your interpretation of like how this this opening like totally. tag is presented totally I mean I think it's, I think it's actually a problem for the movie because at the end of it I don't know why this like I still don't know why this te- text exists up front because what that text suggests to me is that what Shyamalan is proposing is that there is an iceberg yeah and we see the tip of it Mm-hmm. And we do not understand the entire shape of the thing. Like the, it, they range in pr- in price from a dollar to one hundred forty thousand dollars. This indication that we don't know what comics are. We can't actually make a definitive statement about them. So we think of them as basically, uh, you know, recycled paper garbage. But some become treasures. Uh, some like comics fans dedicate a year of their life to this. That's the average. What does what about the what about the super fan? What does it say when it when People are devoting years of their lives to a medium most people barely ever think about. And I think back when this movie was made, this was a lot more provocative because we didn't... Like, think about how the resonance of the shot in the uh, comic book shop with all the Thor comics and Spider-Man comics. Think about how the resonance of that image has changed between when this film was made and today, right? In, in When this movie is made... Uh, Thor, Spider-Man, these were like Marvel names you knew, but like you didn't know much about them, certainly. You knew maybe the broad outlines, but they were they, they were comics. Or you, they, and, they weren't, they uh, you and cultural. I might know about them, but our grandparents didn't. Our uncles, our aunts, our cousins, like maybe we were the nerds who were like, oh wow, that was Thor in the background. But like the person you were seeing that movie with didn't know who the fuck that was, or if they did, it was from a cartoon from the mid-70s very briefly. Uh, it's the only time the movie pulls in outside, yes. I like... Light, like it's a very specific moment where it's like it's a comic book movie that makes no references to comics that exist until like that specific scene in and of itself. Well, and it set up the the shot of that comic store is cramped. It's uh, like low rent. It compared to contrasted to Elijah's high end dealership prestige. model prestige. Like adds like an air of like like making Elijah on this like pretentious. Uh, like other level than, right. than like legitimacy in some way yeah or like pursue our uh, uh, you know presumed uh, legitimacy now those those brands are all worth a fortune yeah and it, the world has given Elijah in some sense what he's wanted the recognition that that these things mean something to people and that there is truth in them and well, that blah, there's blah, like blah, blah, blah. value right because, and that's weird because but, it's not just about like because uh, the fact that he like denies it to the four year old, I think, is like very significant. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. You're right. Even though like this is not to be enjoyed by like this is high art, you know, like this is like some like higher thing. This is not, you know, your 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 Spider Man cartoon or whatever. Right. And so I think that is uh, significant in like distinguishing this from the other distinguishing what from the Elijah is doing yeah, yeah, yeah. from the comic book store. Um. Well, the other interesting part is 
does Elijah actually like comics that much? He collects them, <laughs> yeah, but right. that speech he gives as he examines the artist's original like cover yeah. design before it was like finished and colored for print. And he talks about how it all got flattened and exaggerated and cartoonified uh, by the time it was by the time it was printed, just like comics always do. But yeah. the image that compels him is the comics that ca- couldn't be made in the golden silver age, right? It's the, the artist's vision, the belief that there's this, there is a truth. There is a different version of comics underneath the surface of the, uh, you know, debased items that we receive. It's, it's a weird, there is a weird comment being made about comics and comics fandom in this movie that I don't think is well articulated, but it's interesting. I'm not, does it even, I, I question whether it even has much to say about that, right? Like, I I, I don't even know if, if there well, is a, like, operating theory in the movie that's presented. I think the movie is an operating theory in that. The it's, movie, I mean, I mean, like, the character of Elijah and what he represents totally, but is, I, like, fandom. I don't think that is, like, an operating I don't think it's theory. about fandom, but I do think the, the stuff that Elijah says in that sequence where he's, like, and notice that, like, the chin isn't as big and that mm-hmm. things are, he's doing the thing that's, like, Unbreakable is a better a better superhero movie than Batman on Batman Forever. <laughs> like that's the thing he's saying is like we shouldn't yeah. have nipples on our Batman suits. And, like slamming his hand on the ground, <laughs> the longest form thread in existence, <laughs> written by Elijah. Closed after. Closed after <laughs> he just hates the fucking the, those. The, he hates George Clooney as Bruce Wayne. He just hates him. Um, uh, and I think that 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 is maybe one of the three lines, and that it does think that its style of, of storytelling is a little more real. You know, there's the moments where Elijah says like things don't fit into little boxes in real life, David. And like, that is his version. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That is his version of saying like, Marie things are Kondo a little more complex. fucking yeah. <laughs> disagree. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the best place for them. <laughs> I still don't know where she gets those boxes. I don't know. I don't know. That is her superpower. Uh, so I've gotten some tips. Okay. Don't want to burn pot. We'll, we'll talk about that in another day. Um, um, anyway. Well, let's, yeah. So let, let's, I, what, what, there was a couple scenes I wanted to walk through. People, you know, bring up your notes as you, as you come along. We should take a break. Get to. Yeah, let's, uh, we'll take a break and we'll start walking through um, uh, the film. Uh, so uh, we'll be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And we're back. Uh, we're going to start kind of walking through uh, uh, the movie itself, which I think I'll touch on a bunch of the different themes that um, uh, reactions people have had to the film. Uh, we alluded to the open. We spent a lot of time on <laughs> some fucking text that doesn't uh, necessarily have to do with the plot. But like the, the moment that then cuts to, um, you know, my impression as someone that had not seen the film before was like, all oh, right, yeah, this movie's going to open. It's me on a train. Yo, that train's going to crash. Let's go. Yeah. Like, let's watch this train yeah. crash. And. Um, it actually opens on a scene 
uh, where David is uh, slumped over. He is wearing a suit that doesn't exactly fit <laughs> yeah. especially well. David's not taking care of his style. Um, and this, he's, I, think, I believe at the beginning, is kind of like playing sort of like peekaboo with a child who is in a seat in front of him. Um, and that's like the perspective of our camera is like set between, it is going back and forth between like the gap in between uh, the seats. And then the, the camera ends up resting there sort, uh, generally from the perspective of what could be that child yeah. when a, uh, a woman sits down, like as she puts away her uh, bag, like exposes her midriff, which shows a tattoo, which then immediately prompts uh, David to take off his wedding ring, put it in his pocket, and uh, start a not particularly good charm uh, offensive uh, to, to try and talk to this oh. woman. And the, the framing of this scene in which the camera stays steady in a single shot, no cuts, where we're, we're from that perspective of the child as uh, he attempts to um, have a conversation with this woman um, that, that falls apart in the most uncomfortable of ways. But I, I found it like a really effective scene at setting, you know it's a, a superhero film. And so the idea that the opening moment of the film is that, uh, hey, this isn't like a weakness. There's like a deep character flaw of this person. Like, here's your main character. They're supposed to be the. This is their origin story. That was like a a fascinating way to like frame, shoot, and like set up like the character that we're going to see for you know the ensuing two hours. He is, you know, you've written here, Patrick, that that you end up feeling a sort of disgusted pity, and I think that that's pretty on point. Uh, through the hospital scene that follows, like all the way through, you're just like, oh my god, this fucking dude, and and it becomes clearer once it's once it's you understand that he's separated from his wife. Like this isn't him like trying to make a, like a play at an affair or something, Mm -hmm. but there is still the degree to which he is. If he has any charm, it is under lock and key. He is such a restrained character throughout the film. And at this moment is one of the only moments that you see him try to like turn it on in the first half of the film and speak loudly. Otherwise this is a character who mumbles constantly, who's very soft spoken, who barely enunciates his words, which obviously plays off of Sam Jackson's character, Elijah, who is loud and like super articulate. Very, very, very like perfectly enunciates every word he says, says every syllable perfectly Mm -hmm. and commands, has a commanding presence. Um, And to see him just like swing and miss over and over again with this woman is like, oh, okay, I don't know that I'm rooting for him, but I'm going to see what happens. And it feels like a formula. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. It, it super is like, okay, yeah. what are like the three questions that <laughs> that will get me to like the information that I need to see if like this is going to go this anywhere? Is a thing. Yeah. Like, he read them in Men's Health. Where are you health, going? Like a second ago. Yeah. He like, that was the other I guess magazine. Because yeah, ma- it wouldn't be a pickup book, right? right? Like, this doesn't no. exist at this no. point. So it's got to be. It's one of those out. magazines that he literally it, just exactly. read and put away. <laughs> it says. He-, he brings those magazines with oh. him. Those are in his briefcase. And then he sets them down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, it, it feels like not rehearsed, but like in the back of his mind almost. Mm-hmm. Um, which, yeah, that was like the kind of the pathetic part. It was like, this is not like a genuine connection and and when you see that and they're talking about football which you later learn is like hit one it was like his fucking life passion when he was uh pre-college or whatever or at the end of his college career um and in that moment he's like i don't really watch football you're like why are you guys fucking even talking yeah you know yeah 
Hi. Hi. I have to record what's happening. Oh my god. We have to fix this. Everything is. Oh. <laughs> we have to fix this. We, we see, need to. We can see you just fine. We need to. Uh, where's the sage? I don't know. We have to. We have to exercise this room. <laughs> oh my. Patrick, god. where are you in this? Ah. ah! Okay, there he is. Where am I? I've. I think you're over. Oh, that's me. Yeah, that's you. Hi. We can keep going. We just video is bad. Video is bad. It looks okay. like you are uh, in the ring. Yeah. In the TV. I can. I. We can see you, so I can it's still fine. keep tabs on people. Okay. If, if people have things to say and stuff. Like that. Um, okay. <clears throat> or we can just. Like, why don't we just? Yeah, that's fine. We'll do this over why here. Why don't we just do this? Okay. Oh. I hate this it. This is fine. This okay, is fine. Okay, this is fine. This is fine. Just okay. All right, we're anyway, good. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, something I like here, and it's the way the camera is sort of peering and craning around to follow the conversation between them uh, reminds me a lot of Fincher. Mm. And I don't think that's accidental. There's a lot of things in this movie that remind me of Fincher. Uh, the palette, the fact that basically, again, that last act, uh, the movie at that point is fully... Uh, turning into seven yeah. right before your eyes, uh, but I, I kind of like it. This 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 feeling of like restless energy that permeates that scene. Uh, this slightly voyeuristic. I think this is what makes it especially uncomfortable. Is that like you you feel like you are not meant to see this? Just this this poor bastard just getting utterly humiliated. <laughs> Uh, by his own uh, just dismal uh, shabby shabby patter, but also the um, it already creates this weird sort of discomfort and suspense in a scene that is going to turn horrific, and you're already primed for it. Like it already feels like bad thing. Like bad things are already happening, even though nothing has happened yet. By the time she moves on, it already feels like something is just off there's there's a wrongness to the scene and as he sort of uh you know drifts off again and goes back to staring out the window uh the way suddenly the sound of that train the persistence of of the train horn it's it's very effective uh it again it was one of those moments where i realized this movie is a lot better and makes use of a lot more like filmmaking tools than I remember it making. Uh, and I think one of the, the other, the other half of this that really like really lands having met this shabby fail dad, the scene later after he is the only survivor, when he comes out of the yeah. uh, emergency room and all those people are standing there and all the weight of their, like it's from David's uh, point of view all the weight of their hopes and expectations and fear lands on you the viewer as these people like look at you basically you <laughs> you coming out the the emergency room is the only person who walked off that train and they don't know it yet but nobody else is yeah and that moment it hit me it hit me in the chest like a hammer it is such an effective moment and he gets reunited with his family but right away there's that awkwardness of it's a happy reunion. They're glad he survived, but also he might've been the most expendable person on that train for, you know what I mean? Like, like to a degree he's coming back, he's coming back to this family that to a degree he's already wrecked that family. Like he's, he's coming back to a a wife who 
doesn't know it's, how she in, feels in another room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they like the re, you, when you find out that the reason he was on that train was cuz he was looking to go get a job in New mm-hmm. York because he's about to leave that family and like I think that's part of what like is makes the first, you know, third of the movie so strong is like really like the the A story is like learning how dysfunctional like he is and how he just does not fit into society, this family, right. like he is just he exists but he's not really there. And the B plot is, you know, this like slow burn discovery of, you know, what he might or might might not. There be. is a, especially in the in the beginning, you know, having you place that set of sequences together with Elijah's origin and and birth, literal birth, um, in which it's revealed that all of his bones are broken. Oh God, moment, which was... is like that, like just me like up. as a side point, like that, like discovery yeah. was. It's like hard. the way they play that, the way that Doctor, doctor. specifically yeah. plays that, like I was not Me ready either. for how heavy that scene was going to right. feel. Um, is this thing where there is there's so much at work here given the two characters, given their their differences in physical capability, but also in race and, and a million different things, right? Um, and also in economic, you know, uh, uh, status by the time, by the, by the kind of opening moments of the of the action of the of the film, the, the present action. They're they're different in all these key ways. And the the one that seemed clear to me at this point in the film, and I don't know that it's true by the end, it's like, oh, this is a story about someone with survivor's guilt in in David uh, up against someone who has struggled. And who has been traumatized from the moment they were born, uh, in which the person with survivor's guilt has no way to justify his existence because he seems so unremarkable. And the person who has been traumatized has had to invent a reason for himself to exist because the world clearly doesn't want him to. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that is like there's something at play there. Though by the end, it ends up feeling more like a film about fulfillment and a film about um, like fate, f- fate. But also, the, I mean, it, it ends with Elijah basically saying like to not know your place in the world to not know why you're here that is the worst thing and the thing that Bruce Willis that David that David Dunn achieves is recognition that he he exists for a reason that he fits into people's lives um and the moments when he's able to do that are the moments when he stops mumbling and he stops feeling like he shouldn't be alive when the sadness is gone right when he doesn't wake up and sad. i don't i'm having a hard time still unpacking what to do with that idea Given that, like, yeah, motherfucker, you're invincible. Of course the world has space for you in it. Like, I, that's not a victory for – like, do you know what I mean? It's it's a little bit of, of uh, the Incredibles 1 stuff where it's like, am I really supposed to feel bad for the dude who was invincible and who had it – who was born with a genetic, like, strength – versus this other dude and i think the movie's playing with that i don't think the movie is is i don't think the movie is unaware that you're supposed Mm -hmm. to be charmed by elijah's predicament uh and that you might be even wooed by his his evil mastermind Mm -hmm. uh ploys at the end rob you were shaking your hands (laughs) no i mean the two degree the other uncomfortable thing running through this film is the degree to which this is like white male boomer resentment the movie in a lot of ways this I, you know, when you're talking about like are we supposed to feel bad for this guy who has all these incredible powers like you, look david's a security guard he's not living the high life no absolutely like that. but totally. there's this but the other thing in this movie is he's this middle-aged dude who's come he's come to the midway point of his life 
and he feels this deep like sadness and resentment at all the ways these other people constrained him all these choices he made he's like a fucking like george bailey character almost <laughs> where he has this sense of i could have been anything and i stayed here for all you fucking people and what has it gotten me? But he doesn't ever voice and that, right? Like that's the no. difference. He yeah, doesn't. I, I don't know if he. Yeah, he he he's so quiet and passive. Yeah, he, like, but that is just, true about his life. Life just goes yeah. by him. But that is true about his life. He could have been the best football player who ever lived, and instead he decided to have a family and to be a dad, and he's miserable. And the thing that ends up being his resolution, the synthesis at the end, is he finds a way to both have a family and get fulfillment by being a superhero. He, like, supplements his family life by being a badass, like, who, like, helps people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah you air quoted me, Natalie. But that is, like, the, the takeaway is, like, oh, you have to find fulfillment, but blah, 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 blah. But I do think that that stuff is potent and is is charged once you start thinking about what the alternatives for that character's life could have been. Um, and I think it's smart to not make him verbally resentful about it because you would lose all empathy for him. Um, and instead, what you do get is a lot of enjoyment when he does open up. I know, Patrick, you, another scene you wanted to talk about was the weightlifting scene, yeah. which is rad. Yeah. You just feel like, like I don't know, for me, it, it made me feel... So my parents divorced when I was a kid, uh, and... I very much cherish the moments when I felt proud of my father, who I only got to see once in a while, a couple of days a week, or when he was working in other states once every few months or every few weeks. And like those moments would be like, that's my fucking dad. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That sequence really did like play for me. Um, or, or the times that like, so my, you know, my parents didn't divorce, but my dad was a salesperson for the large part of his life before he settled into sort of executive stuff. And he just wasn't around for you know, first 10 years or so. And so it's like what I like that mo that scene where David, uh, you know, his, his son is off playing uh, football with all the, yeah. the kids. And this is right before the weightlift scene. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't want to get involved in playing football, but like he just, the kid just wants to be recognized by his yeah. father. Like there's this, there's all this, there's this really promising that it doesn't, I like the final scene and how they, they play it, but it, there's not enough of this in the movie despite the presence of the child where, like, they work through, like, the validation recognition issues between, like, a father and son – or just a parent yeah. and a child that's, that's, that's regardless of a father or a mother. Um, but, like, I saw so much of myself in that scene of, like, not so much that my father ignored me, but just, like, the rare moments where you get to, like, be involved, a participant, like, excited along with – like a parental figure and so like that's one of the moments where like yeah Shyamalan looking for like a dewy-eyed wide-eyed <laughs> kid and like just playing that up like worked really well as that scene went along because both the acts is a surrogate for the viewer and being like the you're discovering you're, you are the kid discovering the superhero origin along with them but also just that relationship between a, a, a you know a parent and a child and that constant like looking for validation and interest and like a, a relationship that goes beyond just being like the authority yeah. figure. And also I think there's something there about like <clears throat> inheritance when the little kid is like clearly not as good at football or like is not allowed to even play football, but is aware <laughs> that like yeah. his father was a superstar and also like does has not inherited like the super strength as also a kid of divorce and my dad not being around a lot like sports was like that one like mm. my dad played volleyball in college and volleyball was my number one sport because I wanted like that attention and like that recognition 
And so having my dad at like my volleyball games whenever he was there was like, this is like the time to prove myself. And like, that was so, so real for me. Um, which I, I wish that through that weightlifting scene, I wish that that had carried itself more through the movie, like that father son relationship, just the, the parent child relationship in general. I, the next time we get it is like in the, the, gun scene the uh, the unearned Jesus. gun scene which itself is like dramatic and yeah, tense yeah and isolated like well shot from the rest well of done. the movie yes. but like it yeah. doesn't it doesn't land character wise but if you were just to isolated watch that scene it's fucking incredible like it's it's a really good scene but i remember watching being like well this doesn't feel like an earned twist in like the like this seems like overreactive for the kid like it just i didn't yeah. buy why it was happening but the scene itself and the directing and there are other scenes I want to talk about, but we just got the 15 minutes. So I'm unfortunately, I'm going to just briefly imagine dialogue options floating around that sequence. <laughs> yeah. And it has triangle, yeah. square, circle. Yeah. And are you, what are you saying? You know it's a I'm David going to leave. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to leave. Exactly. You hit the I'm going to leave button. Bully. Intimidate. Intimidate. <laughs> intimidate. Uh, just the thing I do want to call it real quickly. Yeah. Um, the... When the movie gives uh, Robin Wright stuff to do, she is great yep. with it. The scenes, yes. they they get across so well that feeling of a couple that has hit a crisis yeah. and is feeling their way through it. And I've seen couples come out either end of that in different places, but like they nail that weird vibe of affection, loyalty, and like fear, weariness. yeah, and and weariness, yeah. and that like all those scenes are just gorgeously played. Again, there's so much in this movie that like is beautiful. Uh, and then we begin getting to the last act. Yeah, so I just want to, unfortunately, just because of time constraint, want to get us towards, I think, you know, to unpack as much as the sort of final turn uh, of the movie um, in which, uh, you know, he realizes he's, you know, got these powers. And then, you know, he has this conversation with Elijah where he's like, well, you know, go do something about it. So he, you know, we awkwardly discovered like he can kind of like pick up either through intuition or touch, like the communication, the language of his powers is not fully communicated that like creates like some weirdness, uh, like is the beginning of the weirdness of the of the final act. Um, he goes to a train station and begins like getting glimpses of other people's lives. And we are like getting glimpses into a whole range of crimes that he could do something about from, you know, very petty crimes, like, uh, uh, you know, stealing some jewelry um, to the one that he ends up uh, choosing, which is like the discovery of someone had approached a house, uh, a familial house, you know, killed the father. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. I mean, this is where the entire thing starts getting really uncomfortable, really fucking fast. Like, yeah. I think what was being. Oh, yeah. Like, like, you know, just ra random date rape thing that he just like moves yeah, on from. Like, yeah, right. not worth going after that I guy. Think what he's going for is the sense of like, um, oh, gosh, what's that scene? Is it a Jim Carrey movie where like briefly he gets to hear like every prayer that God is receiving all the time? Bruce Almighty. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. this overwhelming like sad cacophony, like all these prayers just flooding in all these all these people who need you and you can't be there for all of them. I think that that is sort of what the scene is trying to get across that. This is the part that is, this is the horror of his power is that he cannot be in all places at once. He cannot do all things. What it ends up coming across in the scene though is the hierarchy of bad things that could happen. And the it's it's fucking Goldilocks of homicide. And then basically. still includes like sexual assault in the horror oh, yeah. of like the one that he chooses. Yep. 
yeah, definitely sexual assaults implied there. Uh, also, it looks like there's a hate crime that he passes over to. Uh, a bunch of oh, dudes absolutely. that pick up assaulting yeah. a black oh, yeah. guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. they go back to Africa. Yeah. Uh, so, like, just not, not that one. Mm, not gonna not gonna deal with that one. Ah, the home invasion horror show. Uh, that's the one he's going to intervene in, and it's just the way it comes across is this icky, like fucking automat of crime that he's going to, and he's he's picking out the one most deserving of his attention. I don't think that's intended, but it is how the scene comes across, and then it sets up what ends up feeling like both an incompetent uh, action sequence uh, finale. And a really grimy one. In which he is going up against a a malicious, uh, you know, uh, sociopathic janitor who is already in Prison Orange, who is never developed as a character, who is just sort of walking hate. And, like, I – it is so weird to – from there, they go to the bit where the mother sets up, oh, there are two types of villains. There's the the soldier villain, and there's the mastermind villain. Motherfucker, this is not the soldier villain. This yeah. is an empty vessel for you to place David's heroism into. Yeah. He's the taxidermist. He never right, speaks. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, 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 the villain never speaks and is just this walking entity of evil. And that's that was, like, so fucked up for me is like what the what the true evil right is and how it's like the acts of true evil that that uh uh david is like looking through as he touches everyone when he's in the train station and like that hierarchy or whatever and that how it's just without a voice um is also the coloring in that scene of how everyone is is in like just neutral colors in and then the, the in which scene the train scene not only in the train scene but everyone he touches that yeah. happens to have like something bad associated with them is in like some brightly colored oh, you're right. it's like orange or the it's bright like green the bright camo yeah, 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 it's like yeah. the, bright the bright camo red. jacket the yeah. bright red of the lady who like stole the necklace or everything like that was hmm. interesting yeah, there's a degree of which, like, that whole sequence... First of all, I mean, the, the funniest thing about that whole sequence is the music playing during it. This extremely late 90s, like, trance, like... Yes. Uh, um, and then, and then yeah, I, I want to be clear. Like, it isn't only that the villain doesn't get development that bugs me. It is also that, like, again, we're using women as kind of disposable props for heroism. Um, for, 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 like, Bruce Willis gets to be oh, the yeah, hero. Oh, yeah, and she's dead. Oh, like the the mom, the mom in the home invasion. Oh, she's right. like garbage on the oh, floor. Yeah, like right. literally, she's the way, al- like, she's already dead. Yeah. Like in the in the newspaper she newspaper article, it says like both of the parents died. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I do really? love the quotes oh, okay. around huh. hero. <laughs> the newspaper article: hero saves family. Well, not the family, the kids. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Save them. Yeah. Uh, he hates water. Be careful. When <clears throat> okay, it's just bad. It's bad plotting yeah. too, right? Like it's just a like there are so many easier ways to imagine his the application of his power to being like discovering something about I, I don't, like his yeah. boss at work or something you know what i mean like there's i do yeah. think the like it's way just, it's a really strange yeah i do i do ahead. think the way that he like fumbles through the process is like makes sense in the context of his character like the fact that he's getting thrown around it is like he's just he's not like stealthing his way through the house <laughs> no he's just walking see i, see, I, I liked that it was a no, bad that's, action no, 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 no. I that's, that's that, what i'm saying that, is i think yeah. in in that played like, for me he's a fucking regular ass dude like even in the moment 
that he rescues his his then his later to be wife from the car like after he rips off the the door off the car it's not like he's like whoa he's just like (laughs) (laughs) he just grabs her and he's like with her and and like isn't even thinking about what just happened is just (laughs) the world where they cast keanu reeves as this character and he just goes whoa (laughs) extremely good i Uh, wish i wish but the thing where the scene falls apart, though, is like for for me. Well, in addition to sort of the, just the ickiness of it, but the fact that like Superman, basically, we've seen him rip a door off a car. He basically spends like fifteen minutes choking this dude out from behind, and like just put him through like something, some comic book thing needs to happen here, and it just doesn't. And it'd be fine. Like the fact that it doesn't is effective except for the musical score in that moment is Mm. so fucking like heroic and like triumphant and the entire scene but that's a lot what if the scene had no music right like i feel like there there are better ways to like like, there's a there's there there is a way to yeah i think that the soundtrack doesn't accompany that properly because like he is doing a quote-unquote heroic act but in a way that is just like because i'm with natalie like i found like the apprehensive way he approaches the whole thing where it's like he's just like fumbling yeah. his way even the way he tries to untie yeah. like yeah the, he's not like know, the, ripping the it on their and hands. like he's like right like like he clearly like fucking has no idea what he's supposed to do because like and that's i think that's a relatable feeling for someone that was attempting to to do something like this but yeah like it doesn't line up with the the, the, the heroic soundtrack and- that goes uh, but that's uh, Elijah's it. point is like all of that f- flair is exaggeration, right? Is like if if there was that comic book moment, then this would just be that comic book movie, right? So like Elijah's whole thing is like these are instances that can be exaggerated to to create like spectacle and like a fantastical whatever but what they might really look like or like in the real setting what they look like could be and i don't know i don't know if that fucking lands for me i wish he made that case a little bit better because when he does do it he does the bit he's like i believe comics are our last our last link to an ancient way of passing on history the egyptians drew on walls countries all over the world still pass on knowledge through pictorial forms i believe that comics are, are a form of history that someone somewhere felt or experienced and then they got jazzed up and mm-hmm. and titillated yeah, that was such i'm like bro stri- are you saying that pictures are like he didn't the, the case that i remember from watching this was like oh comic books are a modern mythology blah 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 but the case he actually makes is that like pictures tell stories and i like uh, <laughs> like yeah they do that's a thing everybody still does it's not a lost but that there's like uh, there's like the stories that they tell are the ones that are like have been carried through time through time like these are the only lasting true stories that we I can rely on better. Yeah. Um, and yet, and yet, I still think Sam Jackson is my favorite part of this movie. The delivery of the finale of the final bit yep. is still yeah. like fucking bone chilling, still like hair raising. I love that reveal. We live in mediocre times. We live in mediocre times is such a good line. Totally. No, he's. I mean, look, he is at the top of his game in this movie. Like he, like, and some of the, sh- the some of the compositions that scene in the gallery where he's talking to David, and we just hold that distant shot by the chandelier, and Jackson is just a shape and a figure at the end of the shot and a voice, and it's so. This is the thing that Sh- Shyamalan does very well in this movie is like there are moments you can see the comic book that this is, yeah, 
in yeah. his composition. Yeah. I think the colors of that sequence are the the are, are probably that too, right? The like bright colors of all right, we can't this <laughs> Sorry, there's we're in a okay. Our studio space has HBO is has HBO playing in the background all the time, all the time. And is this sixteen candles? This is not sixteen candles. This I is don't the know one with Drew Barrymore. And it's a lot of movies. It's the one with Drew Barrymore when she's like an awkward teen. Is she actually an awkward teen? Mm. She's or the an one awkward teen. She goes teen. back to college or goes back no, to high no, school. This, I don't know. That's never been kissed, right? Yes, never been this kissed. has never been kissed. And it's the condom scene. And it's scene. the condom scene. Just anyway. Anyway. <laughs> really useful sequence. Ghost written by right, M. Night exactly. Shyamalan. Uh, this podcast had to uh, crash well, and burn I, in this exact way. Yeah. It had that's, to. That's, it had to. Yeah. So that's that's going to do it. There's so much more we could talk about, but... Uh, we have to go uh, record another podcast. That's going to do it for our... Stay tuned to the next one, which will be Split. Yeah, to the next podcast. Yeah, right? so... Yeah, we're going to watch... Split. Uh, yeah, we're going to yeah. watch Split. Yeah, we're going to do Split, and so that gives... By the time we watch Split... And then uh, get to glass. That'll uh, give people a couple of weeks to um, go out and see that uh, movie, uh, which comes out uh, this weekend. Um, but uh, that is going to do it for us here at Be Good and Rewatch It. Uh, you can follow everything uh, that I do over at Patrick Klovick. At Patrick Klovick. Austin, Austin how about underscore you? Walker. Natalie. At Natalie Watson. <laughs> oh. Rob. At Rob Zachney. He ate the banana. This guy with the just ate the banana that the condom uh-huh. was previously on. Uh, our thanks to Tumelo for our theme music. You can find out uh, more about what Tumelo does at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com. That is the number two. Don't spell it out. Uh, or follow him over at Mellomakes on Twitter. You can keep up uh, with all of us at waypointadvice.com. Please, this is a new feed. This is not in the normal Waypoint Radio feed. So, uh, you know, like, subscribe, uh, keep, uh, you know, if you review it, that really does help us. So if you can take a couple of seconds, stars, if you can write, if you can write an actual comment review, that's even better. Um but that's going to do it for us. I, You know, at some point, I should write an outro this is good. for this <laughs> Trust podcast. Me. But, you know, just, you know what? If you lo- Nailed if, it. If, if you got, if you got something you want to watch this weekend, you should just, you know, spend your time and be good and rewatch oh, it. That's good. Aww. That's no, bad. that's it. I don't know. I can't. I don't know if I can pull that off a second time. <laughs> All right. <bye. laughs>
I'm sorry. I thought that was a bit from Rob. Like, it's 4.30. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> What's the bit? What's the bit? What's I don't the know. bit? I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that he would like? It would mean that would mean something if you were like. Rob hornily tells you the time. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Rob. Time dot Rob. Time dot Rob. Dot Rob. And then Rob will hornily tell you what time it is, and then he'll pour you an appropriate drink. I I would follow that Twitter bot. Pat, I'll put I this would. at the end. I would too. That's a really good Twitter bot idea. Okay. Anyway, cut this. <laughs> yeah, and put it at the end of the podcast. Yep. Um. All right. <clears throat> this room is haunted. <laughs> I like it. I gotta be honest. Me the energy too. Off the studio is very different than lobby one. It's so different. I'm into it. Yeah. It's four twenty eight. So mad. <laughs> oh my god, Rob! I don't know how that sound is going to come across just on audio. I'm just. Gonna, I'm right here. You go ahead. You can. You come back with this podcast whenever you're ready. I'm just it's 428. I'm just drinking. I was talking to the CEO of this company 30 minutes ago, and now Rob is making a horny voice at me. <laughs> Don't you love being the editor-in-chief? So good. Was that on the deck? Yeah, it was on the deck. That was <laughs> part of the presentation. <laughs> okay. All right. That was weird. It was good. It was good. <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>